Before we got to the last verse of Oh Praise His Name, that last song, I positioned myself where I could see Kirby Skaggs' face. Because I knew that when we get to that point, he gets excited. And, uh, you know, I, I get excited about it too. And, and I kind of wonder why would he get more excited about Jesus, seeing Jesus' face than me? And then I realized, because he's closer to the day. If everything holds out, he'll get there sooner than I do, whether it's Jesus. Well, if Jesus returns, we'll get seen at the same time. There you go. Uh, a lot of these guys, you notice, are wearing a, a, a special T-shirt today. It, it, this was not another Youth D-Now weekend, but it was something similar. And I wanted to, uh, to just share that with you a little bit. We had a cool thing uh, happen this weekend at the church. It was a, an event that Nathan came to me about, actually back late last summer, early in the fall. He had an idea of, uh, we have all of these young newly married couples in the church. And the idea was to connect them with some more mature, well, if you saw the group we had yesterday, uh, more mature, been married a little bit longer, uh, to build some relationships across generational boundaries, also friendships, but, but give uh, the, the, the young newly married couples a, a chance to hear from some of the, the more seasoned veterans. And so... Uh, uh, that, that is what this was all about. It was called Thriving in Marriage. We ended up with about five or six young, young couples represented and then uh, the same number of, of couples that had been married longer. And uh, of course, Kirby and Kay are wearing one of those shirts. They were the uh, senior uh, couple. In fact, at one point on Friday night, I was sitting at a table with kind of the leadership from that night. Greg and Bianca were keynote speakers on conflict in marriage. Uh, you know, Greg and Bianca, it was a perfect uh, opportunity for them to share how God had helped them overcome conflict. It was awesome. It was great to hear from them. But we were at the table with them. They'd been married six years. Uh, the Roberts had been married a little over 20 years. Susan and I, who've been married 35 years. And Kirby and Kay, who have almost been married 49 years. And I pray they'll make it. So... Uh, and so, and then scattered throughout the auditorium were, were uh, you know, tables with just four people at them, two couples at most of those tables. And then Kirby and Kay had an opportunity to move around and meet some of the other couples through the weekend. Susan and I did too. Uh, the stars, we had uh, three couples that were kind of the keynote speakers uh, on each of the main worship times where we had, uh, of course, Greg and Bianca on Friday night. Uh, Kevin and Sarah on Saturday morning, and then Susan and I uh, did a teaching time on Tuesday afternoon. I can assure you that the stars of the show were <laughs> Bianca, Susan, and Sarah. <laughs> uh, I couldn't wait when Kevin had to. Uh, Kevin and Sarah had to. Uh, video theirs and send it to us. And, and every time Kevin got up and started preaching, I was just thinking, just hurry up and get back to Sarah. I want to hear what she has to say. I imagine that was the same feeling last night uh, when, when Susan and I were speaking as well. But we had a great time, and I, I believe that God was at work through that. And I look forward to doing more things like that. In, in some ways, if you think about what we did at, at Christmas, our Christmas dinner, we intentionally assigned seats for the very same reason, to help connect people uh, to new folks. And uh, both of those, uh, we've gotten just some great feedback on, because it's good to, you know, we come in here and we go to our, our groups, our, our study groups, and then we come and we sit in the same areas with the same people every week, and we don't get to know. Uh, somebody told me yesterday that they sit on this side. They don't even know the people that sit on this side. We're not even a big church. I can't even imagine what happens at one of those big churches. So, uh, 
It, is, it, was, it was fun, and that's why they're wearing the T-shirts. The only reason I'm not is, uh, is we're on video, and I want to look pretty. So I went ahead and dressed up so I could look a little bit prettier. We are going to be looking at Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 through 26 today as we continue our study, Set Free in Christ. And a large part of the theme over the last two months has been uh, the purity and the simplicity of the gospel. But last week, we came to that transition where Paul tells the church, look, it, the gospel has set you free from the law. The gospel has set you free from the constraints of the law, from, from the wrath that, that you are facing under the law. And, and, and now you are free in your relationship with Christ. You're set free from all of those restraints. And in fact, in, in 5.1 last week, he used these words, it was for freedom that Christ set you free. So don't go back to slavery of religion or the law or the flesh. Don't allow yourself to be entangled in those things again. And he's going to move this week to what really becomes some real practical application of that, those ideas of freedom. And here's where he's going to begin. Freedom always comes with responsibility. I thought about this raising my children. Uh, with, with my girls, my goal was, you know, when they're little, you have to do everything for them. And certainly, when you bring them home, you cannot set your, you know, I couldn't set my daughter in the middle of the living room and say, okay, the refrigerator's in there. When you get hungry, go get something to eat. Go get you some milk, warm it up in the microwave. Uh, you, you need to use the restroom. You can go take care of it. If you need to, if you make a mess, clean it up yourself. You can't do that. You do everything for them. A, a, an infant has no freedom. They have no mobility. They know freedom, and so you do everything for them. And, and then you quickly find that as that toddler gets up on their feet and they begin to walk, they begin to experience a little bit of freedom, and they begin to explore the boundaries of their freedom. And oftentimes, our job is to chase them down and corral them and, and make sure that they don't let that newfound freedom of movement get them in trouble. My goal as a parent was, was very... It was very apparent to me, especially from about the time the kids were about six years old until my daughters were 18, because I saw people, I saw parents fail on both ends of the spectrum. And certainly, I can't say that I was perfect here. But one area, one side that parents fail on is they, they just turn the kids loose. Is let the kids do what the kids want to do. Uh, when, when they turn 16, they give them the keys and say, go get them, okay? You know, when, when they go off to, to school, they just give them their freedom. They let them make all the decisions. They let them decide. And, and it's a hands-off approach where you're just going to let the kids do what they want to do, let them, in a world that we live in now, choose their own gender identity, whatever. Parents just turn the kids loose and let them, let them decide. And don't, have, don't provide guidance. Don't provide control. Don't provide parameters for the kids to live in. The other end of that uh, spectrum, to a fault, I've seen parents that were so controlling that they controlled every aspect of their, their kid's life until that child actually moved out and went off to college. And, and when parents do that, the child has had no opportunity to develop good decision-making skills. And so they finally get out of their parents' home, they go off to college, and they're free! And then they don't know what to do with that freedom. And so the goal as a parent is to balance freedom with responsibility. So when our kids were younger, we'd let them make some decisions. Sometimes then they'd make the wrong decision, and we'd have to take away some of their freedom. 
and then you give them a little bit more freedom. And, and when they mess up, or if they mess up, you take away some of that freedom. But the goal is that when, when you give them the car keys or whatever that time is in your household, uh, one of our daughters didn't want to drive. And so trying to get her car keys was a whole nother issue. And we were finally like, come on, please learn how to drive. You know, come on. Uh, you know, one of the other kids are like, hey, hey, when, when can I get my license? When can I get my license? So you, we had both spectrums. But once you get to that point where the goal is that you give them a little bit of freedom, a little bit of room, and help them learn, help them grow so that then they get to a point where now they can operate on their own, making good decisions. Not that they'll never make a mistake, but they'll make good decisions. Freedom, Eleanor Roosevelt put it this way, freedom makes a huge requirement of every human being. With freedom comes responsibility. For the person who is unwilling to grow up, the person who does not want to carry his own weight, that is a frightening prospect. Freedom requires the acceptance of responsibility in growing up. And so when Paul says it was for freedom that Christ set you free, that freedom as a believer comes with responsibility. It doesn't mean that that. that in, in fact, it's almost an oxymoron because there's obligations that come with freedom. And he's going to tell us what some of that responsibility is here. And so let me read the text for you. We're going to look at the last half of, of uh, Galatians chapter 5. And I made the decision when, when we decided to work through Galatians. I felt the Lord leading us not to tarry too long. And so there's been times where we bit off a pretty big bite of Scripture. And this is one of those weeks. This could be four or five sermons, okay? And you'll see that. We could have a whole sermon on the fruit of the Spirit. We could have a whole sermon on, on the, the flesh and, and the works of the flesh. We're going to move through a lot of it today, so we're going we're to move through it quickly. The Scripture says, for you were called to be free, brothers and sisters, only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but serve one another through love. For the whole law is fulfilled in one statement, Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out, or you'll be consumed by one another. I say then, walk by the Spirit, and you will certainly not carry out the desires of the flesh, for the flesh desires what is against the Spirit, and the Spirit desires what is against the flesh. These are opposed to each other, so that you don't do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatreds, strife, jealousy, outburst of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and if that's not enough, anything similar, <laughs> anything that sounds like that or looks like that is a work of the flesh. I'm warning you about these things as I warned you before that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. 
The law is not against such things. Now, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Now, as I I looked at this text, there's so much here. So I, I, I chose to look for the commands in the text. We're going to look at the imperatives. What is it out of this text where Paul commands us to do something? And we'll structure our, our, our study of the text around that. And, and the first couple commands come up in that first paragraph between verse 13 and verse, six, uh, verse 15. This is a paragraph that is kind of transitional from Paul's doctrinal statements, his doc- doctrinal teaching down to his practical application. In fact, it's so, when I say it's transitional, one of the things you'll find is that every version, uh, not every, each, each version may put that in a different place. Some versions connect it with the previous passage and their divisions and their, their subheadings. Some connect it with, with the passage that I've connected it with. In fact, the CSB, the, the translation we're using, actually connects that kind of as a conclusion to the previous uh, message, the previous thought. I, I think that it's transitional and it connects to both. And so he, he, here he is telling us that, look, you've been set free. I've just told you that. But that freedom comes with an awesome responsibility. And the first command that he gives us in how we relate to that responsibility is this, serve one another through love. See, one of the things that, the first thing that happens when we think about freedom, one of the first places our mind goes with the idea of freedom is I'm free. It, it, we, we have the, the it, it becomes personal. I'm free. I have my rights. I can do what I want. I can get my needs met. I, I, can, I can do what I want to do. I can go where I want to go. The law doesn't have anything uh, to, to say about it anymore. I'm set free from the rules that religion bound me by. So I just, I can go do whatever I want to do. And Paul basically pulls the reins back on that and says, wait a minute, you're free, but it's not about you. When you surrender, you gained your freedom by surrendering to the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you want to, you want to see a, a big uh, uh, explanation of this fleshed out, look at Romans 6, 7, and 8. Uh, I was tempted to go back and read a couple passages there, but it's, that's what Paul's talking about. You did not die to sin. You did not die to the law so that you can go back to sin. And it's not about you. It's about your Lord. It's about your King. And so Paul catches this or, 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 or caches this in the idea of really what is the primary commandment that fulfills the law. See, you're not bound by all of the rules of the law. You're not bound by, by all of the technical uh, uh, do's and don'ts of a religion, but you are bound by what saved you. <laughs> and what saved you is love. And you're bound to love. And Jesus put it this way, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. In these two commandments are the whole law. And so Paul, up to this point, he's been dealing with uh, how we came into a relationship with the Lord, loving the Lord, and now he's going to help us make this practical application one another, and he says, here's how you're going to walk in freedom. You're going to love each other. 
this Susan and I's focus in, in our teaching for the, the Thrive Marriage Conference this weekend was to uh, focus on servant leadership in marriage. And so we spent a lot of our time, we looked at five different aspects that you serve the Lord first, but second, and we spent a whole lot more time on this, is you have to serve each other in marriage. That's what marriage is. You are loving the other person by finding out what their needs are and doing everything you can to meet their needs. See, if you come into any relationship to get what you want out of it, you're coming at it from that selfish perspective that Paul's going to deal with a little bit later in the same text. You made it about you, not about your spouse or God's kingdom or God's purposes. You've, you focused on yourself. So freedom comes with a responsibility of loving those around you. Often what we end up doing is if we have to have it our way, we embrace sin in our freedom. Oh, I'm set free so I can sin however I want to. No, you're set free so you can love. You're set free so you're not bound by religion, but you are filled with the love of God so you can accomplish his purposes in the relationships. Serving in love actually meets all the requirements of the law without you having to worry about the law. Hear that? When we serve one another in love, you fulfill all of the requirements of law. You're just not thinking about law. You're not thinking about the religion. You're not, you're not having to check the boxes. You're just loving. And that's what he has called us to do in our freedom. And then, so the first command there is to serve. The second imperative or command in, in the text is to be aware or beware is the translation that we have. He says, for flesh, I'm sorry, but you, if you bite and devour one another, watch out. Other translations translate that word, beware. Watch out. The word, it's actually a Greek word that means to look, pay attention to, watch this, okay? Watch out, or you'll be consumed by one another. Our freedom that we gain in Christ requires that we have more concern for others than we do for ourselves. If you go back and look at Philippians chapter 2, that's what Paul says. I, I, I ask that you have this mindset that was also in Christ Jesus, that you consider others more important than yourself. And so for us to function in, in freedom, the freedom that God's given us as we walk in the Spirit, we serve one another through love and we are aware of the impact that every decision we make has on others as being more important than ourselves. So if we, if we come at life demanding our rights, well, I have a right to, the, and that, that's where a lot of our mindset comes, being Americans. And we have a right to it, yes? But in Christ, he's called you to set aside your rights for the benefit of others. Beware of how your decisions impact others, not demanding that you get it your way, but through love, doing everything you can to meet the needs of those around you. Beware of your impact on others by not picking apart each other. If you bite, and devour one another, you'll be consumed by one another. 
See, sometimes we, we kind of fall that direction. We want freedom. We rejoice in our freedom. But I want to make sure you're doing things the way that you ought to be doing them. I want to watch you and I want to pick you apart. I want to make sure that you're obeying the rules. And so we want freedom, but, but we want to put everybody else in some way or another under the law and we pick at each other and we bite and devour each other until we destroy the unity that God's given us. One of the things that, that was a discussion at our table on Friday night was uh, this idea that in marriage, we ought not be fighting each other. We ought to be fighting for our marriage. <laughs> that brings unity. We, we, we come together and, and we're trying to do what we can to, to meet the needs of the other person. I believe that that's, God showed me that early. In fact, before I got married, there were some books that I ended up reading that, that, that opened my, my eyes to that idea. But it was encouraging and refreshing sitting around that table to hear Kirby talk about what he felt like was some of the secrets to their 49 years of marriage was that he decided early on that his job was not to try to make himself happy, but it was to do everything he could to make Kay happy. And if we approach our lives that way, Certainly starting with our marriages, and in all honesty, guys, that's probably the hardest place. That's where we're the most intimate. But we, we got to start there. But that ought to be a part of our everyday life. That ought to be a part of who we are as Christians. Certainly it ought to be a part of who we are within the body of Christ. If we focus on our differences, if we focus on our failures, if we look at where people have, have hurt us instead of looking at all of the, the positive and the encouraging things and where people have helped us, it, that's, that's one thing that we'll do. Somebody may, may, may say a positive thing to you nine days in a row, and then they say something negative once, and what is it that you focus on? We've got to learn to, to focus on coming together and not devour each other over our differences. So freedom comes with that kind of responsibility, the responsibility to love and the responsibility to in our loves, in our serving through love, to put others first, put others' needs first, and subjugate others' needs to our needs. If we want freedom and mercy and grace, we need to offer freedom and mercy and grace, right? And then second, the next command in this text is in verse 16. He says, walk by the Spirit, and you won't carry out the desires of the flesh. And so here Paul is going to give us a simple command the de his design and desire for our life is that we, we make it our goal to walk in a relationship with the Spirit of the living God. And, and this is a fulfillment of Jesus' promise. Jesus told his disciples in John chapter 14, I'm not going to leave you by yourself to struggle through the rest of your life on your own. I'm going to send you a helper, uh, that word is translated, or a comforter. You, you, the, the Greek word there in John 14 is paraclete, one who comes alongside of you. I'm going to send you one who's going to help you. He's going to be an assistant to you. He's going to be with you, and he's going to be in you. And so you see in various places of Scripture speaking about how the Spirit of the living God comes to dwell within the believer. And so Paul's call here is you're not dependent upon trying to live out a good life on your own in your own strength. You're dependent on the Spirit. Walk in a relationship with the Spirit of the living God. Spend time with Him. So then it becomes, you'll hear me toss around these terms at times, it becomes not about the religious exercise, 
it becomes a lot more about a relationship. The King of Kings, Lord of Lords, the one who Paul says earlier in Galatians that we can call out to and call him Abba Father has placed his very spirit in the heart, in, in, in the spirit of those who have loved him and given their lives over to him, committed to follow him. At the moment that you become a believer, a child of God, where you can truly call God Father, Scripture says that you become indwelt by his spirit. And so the, the, the key to living the life that God's called us to is not that we try, 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 try real hard. It's that we focus our eyes on the spirit of the living God and walk in the spirit. That's the command. And, and, and he puts it this way. If you walk in the spirit, you won't carry out the desires of the flesh. If you focus on the Spirit, if you focus on the Lord and keep your eyes focused on Him, your, your back will naturally turn away from sin. One of the illustrations I've used here in the past is if I tell you, because here's what we do. We, we, sometimes we try so hard not to sin that we can't keep, get our focus off of it. So if I were to command you right now, don't think of, the, of a purple elephant. At least your attention for a short period of time went to a purple elephant. And, and if I tell you, don't commit adultery, don't lust, don't drink, or whatever struggle you might have, if I tell you, you need to focus on not doing those things, and you make it your goal, and you're working hard, and you're, you may do well for a while, but you're focused on those things. If I tell you, focus on the Spirit of God, walk in the Spirit, spend time in His Word, grow in that relationship with God, and you turn toward the Spirit of God... By its very nature, you turn your back on the things of the flesh. So the command here is not don't do the things of the flesh. He tells us what the, the, some of these things of the flesh are so that we can be warned. But he tells us, walk in the Spirit. If you walk in the Spirit, you'll walk away from the things of the flesh. And that ought to be our focus. That ought to be our goal is to walk in the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit is the word that he uses here, the, the idea. And if you do that, you won't walk according to the flesh. In fact, he says, you will certainly not carry out the desires of the flesh. Why? Because the Spirit goes to war with the flesh. The Spirit can beat the tar out of the flesh every time. The Holy Spirit of the living God is more powerful than all of the, the works of the enemy. But you have to connect yourself to the Spirit of the living God and walk in the presence, in the life of the Spirit. And the battle will be won. Now, he gives us a warning. These are works of the flesh. Paul says they're obvious. You can figure it out. Sexual immorality is a work of the flesh. Moral impurity is a work of the flesh. Promiscuity is a work of the flesh. Idolatry, what is idolatry? Idolatry is when you put anything above God. There's very few of us in here that have, you know, carved stones that we put up over our, our bed or, 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 you know, little golden statues that we bow down to or give offerings to. There are people in our communities that do. Very few people that are here have that kind of idolatry in your life, but sometimes we have the idolatry of a sport the idolatry of money, the idolatry of fame or popularity or even of a job. We have idolatry in our lives. And so he warns us all of those, sorcery, strife, 
outburst of anger. See, if, if, if you see regular outbursts of anger in your life, you are not living under the control of the Holy Spirit. Selfish ambitions, making it about me. He just lays it out. If you're not living in love, it's because you're not under the control of the Holy Spirit. You're not walking in the Spirit. That's fleshly. He goes on, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and similar things like this. And I warn you about these. People that are living that kind of lifestyle, they're not walking in the Spirit. They won't see the kingdom of God. On the other end of the spectrum, he gives us the fruit of the Spirit. And I've said this time and time again. Paul does not couch this in the idea of the fruit of a good Christian, the fruit of somebody who tries real hard. He describes this as a, the fruit of the Spirit. The, I cannot produce the kind of love that God wants me to produce. I think Greg said it in our, our weekend. He said, I can't love Bianca the way God wants me to love him in my flesh. But if I'm connected to God and I've surrendered my life to Christ, he can love her through me. And, and each one of these aspects Love, joy in midst of circumstances that you would say, how could anybody find joy there? How, how can you obey Paul's command in Philippians 4 to rejoice in the Lord always? Well, because joy doesn't have to be dependent upon your circumstances or the good or bad things going on in your life. Joy is, is something that the Spirit of the living God can produce in you that will flow up out through you even in the midst of struggles and pain and suffering. And so each of these... Joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, goodness, and self-control. They are fruit of the Holy Spirit. If you find that you have no discipline in your life, no self-control, don't try to gain more self-control. Draw close to God. Draw close to the Spirit of the living God and let the Spirit of God develop the fruit of self-control in your life. I've had people tell me in the past, well, I'm just not a very patient person. I look at them and I say, well, you're not walking in the Spirit. Because if you're walking in the relationship with the Spirit, the Spirit produces patience in your life. It's not up to you to do the work of patience. It's up to you to stay connected to the Spirit of the living God and let Him produce patience in and through you. When you walk by the Spirit, you naturally won't produce the works of the flesh and you will find the Spirit producing in you His fruit. And then finally, in the next paragraph, there are two more commands. Uh, these were not in the Greek. They're not uh, in the imperative mood, okay? The imperative mood is generally where you find your commands. If I tell you, stop it, okay? More often than not, that is, is considered an imperative. It's a command. But the subjunctive is also often used in the Greek, and it's called a hortatory subjunctive. It's a subjunctive that's placed in a position in a conditional sentence that has the force of a command. And so in the, the last paragraph here, he goes on to, after he describes the fruit of the Spirit, he goes down to saying, he says, if we live by the Spirit, let us keep step with the Spirit, and let us not become conceited, provoking one another or envying one another. And so there's really two 
commands here. The first one is live, uh, not live by the Spirit, I'm sorry, is keep in step with the Spirit. So there comes a a point in your life where you have to surrender your life to the Spirit of the living God and say, Lord, I'm not going to do it my way anymore. I'm not going to try to, to, to be this person. I want to follow you. I'm going to surrender my life to you. I want to, I want to hear what your spirit says to me. I'm giving up my life to you. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And this life that I live in the flesh now, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave himself up for me. We make that declaration with Paul that I I, my flesh, myself has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer about me, it's about him. And and we have to come to a point in our life where we surrender our lives over to the Spirit of God and say, Lord, from here on out, I, I want it to be about your dreams for my life, your plan for my life, your will for my life. I'm following you. It's not about me anymore. I'm following your Spirit. And I believe that for, for many Christians, that is that they make that decision at the point of salvation. I believe that was my wife. My wife, when, when she accepted Christ as Savior, she gave him all. I didn't. I'll be honest. I didn't understand that. It was part of my problem. I wanted to not die and go to hell. And I knew that my sin was going to send me there. It was a few years later when I understood, wait a minute. He didn't just try to save me. God, God wasn't here just to save me from hell to give me eternal life. He, he desired to give me abundant life every single day of my life. And I need to surrender to his spirit every single day. And I need to walk in his spirit every single day. And so I believe that there comes a time when you recognize that and you surrender to his spirit. And yet, you still have to do it every single day. I was about 21 years old, 20, 21 years old when the Lord got a hold of my heart with Galatians and and helped me understand that truth, that I needed to surrender my life completely and walk in the Spirit, not get caught up in religion, not get caught up in the flesh, but get caught up in Him. And yet, and I made the decision then, I wrote everything down, wrote down my plans for my life, wrote down my, my history, and I put an envelope, and I surrendered it, and I said, Lord, my life is yours from here on out. And then after a while... I learned new things about myself, or I had new opportunities, new things come along, and I had to make a decision to continue to walk in the Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit. I believe that that's what Paul's saying there. Keep in step with the Spirit. Jesus put it this way in Luke. Take up your cross daily and follow after me. You don't just take up your cross once, you take up your cross daily. So keep in the Spirit. Every day, make that decision that today, Lord, I surrender my life to you. I want to follow your Spirit. I surrender my will to yours. I'm not going to try to do it in my own strength. Lord, you empower me. I'm going to follow you. Keep in step with the Spirit. And when you, the, the second half of that, it's actually the second hortatory conjunctive there is, let us not become... And he gives us three things here, conceited, provoking one another, or envying one another. The idea of conceit here, I think it comes at us in a couple ways. One, we become conceited when we start thinking it's about us. Okay? So once again, now we're doing well. Now we're walking in a relationship with the Spirit. Now we're, we're, we're in step with the Spirit, and we start thinking, man, look at how good I'm doing walking in step with the Spirit. 
and we start giving ourselves credit for what we couldn't do in the first place, what only God could do in and through us. Don't go there. Don't become conceited. I think where it also impacts us is we become conceited and we start thinking, look at how good I am. Look at them. Palmer, you're not doing as good as me. Well, look at them out there. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit better Christian than they are because I figured out these secrets to the Christian life. And once again, you've forgotten that you hadn't done nothing. But for the power of God, not only would you not be able to walk in a relationship with the Spirit, would you be able to live a, a, a life of, of, of victory over sin, you'd still be headed for hell if it wasn't for Jesus. So we have no room to become seated. In that, avoid provoking one another. Avoid disunity. Don't allow the fact that you've got a little bit of success in your spiritual life to impact how you relate to others who may have fallen or struggled or gone through a rough patch. Don't provoke one another. And on the other side of that, don't envy. I remember a time when, when I, I, I literally asked the Lord, Lord, I want to be like Dr. Rainey. Dr. Rainey was, was my professor. Who, it, 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 it seemed like he had a, a, a red phone next to his bed that he could just pick up. And, and, and God, you know, he'd hear it ring and he'd pick it up and, and God would be talking to him. He, it seemed like he had a direct line to God. And I've shared some of those stories with you. One of those times I, I remember so, so vividly, we had, uh, uh, we had had our, our, our baby and Carrie and, and Leanne, uh, friends of ours, were uh, getting ready to have a baby. And she was in the hospital at uh, uh, Brownwood Regional Medical Center. And she was in that, that Back when it was still labor and delivery were separate, and she was in the, in the labor room, which was kind of an operating room at the other end of the hall. And we knew that she was having a hard time uh, when she began to deliver. The baby was breached, and she was having a hard time. And from the hallway, outside of those closed doors, we could hear her screaming. And Carrie told us she was having a real hard time with the delivery, and we needed to pray. This is about 2 o'clock in the morning. I went and picked up the payphone at Brownwood Regional Medical Center, dialed the number on the payphone, you know, put my quarter in there, and I called Dr. Rainey. I said, Dr. Rainey, I'm sorry I woke you up. And he goes, oh, I'm not awake. I mean, I was already awake. It was 2 o'clock or 2.15 in the morning. And I said, well, I wanted to uh, ask you to be in prayer for Leanne. Leanne and Carrie were real close to Dr. Rainey like I was. And I want you to be in prayer for Leanne. She's having their, they're having their baby tonight, and she's having a real hard time with delivery. And Dr. Rainey said... Thanks for calling and let me know. Now I know why we've been up since 12 praying for them. <laughs> They'd woken up. The, the Holy Spirit had woken them up at midnight. And, and they were already praying for Leanne and didn't know why. I wanted to be like Dr. Rainey. And, and, and I remember the Lord impressing upon my heart, if you'll commit your life to me and you'll walk in the Spirit, for 40 years, like Dr. Rainey ha has, then you'll hear my voice as clearly as he does. Dang it. <laughs> I want it now. But I think sometimes we, pastors will stand up, and especially you, you have the, the, 
big pastor in the big church and, and he'll tell these great stories about how God's moving in his life and he's heard all of these things and we all want to be like that and, and we envy them for their relationship with God. Don't envy someone else for their relationship with God. Walk in your relationship with God and let him take care of the details because as soon as you begin to envy, you've made it about somebody else and not about God. And so be cautious, keep in step with the Spirit, and avoid conceit, disunity, and envy. Our hope for living a, a life that's fulfilling and abundant and accomplishes the purposes of God is when we surrender our lives fully and completely to walking in a relationship with His Spirit. We'll do that. When we do that, we'll love one another. We won't be focused on getting my needs met. We'll be focused on fulfilling the needs of those around us. And in that, God will gain the glory. He'll be lifted up. You've been listening to a Sunday morning message from our services here at First Baptist Watauga. Our family's mission is to exalt the Savior, equip the saints, and evangelize the lost. If you want to know more about First Baptist Watauga or need to reach out to us for prayer, go to fbcwatauga.org and let us know. In all things, to God be the glory, honor, and praise.